Okay, kinfolk, how are you today? Man, I've got Stephen G. Butler with me. We're going to have a conversation around calling. Let me let you know a little bit about Stephen. Man, right now, he is uh, a fundraiser at the Oklahoma City University Law School. He's been there since 2016. He supervises law school fundraising, alumni engagement, marketing events. Uh, He was formerly the director of law associates at Pepperdine University. Uh, Previously, he was a grant writer and organizer. He was like a real-life Barack Obama (laughs) for the Industrial Areas Foundation in Los Angeles and Dallas, uh, where he worked with partners, churches, and other um, organizations in the community to create solutions to the lack of health care options in South Los Angeles. He dealt with the subprime mortgage crisis and challenges facing public schools. And as an organizer, he worked with the leader of the Massachusetts-based Algebra Project and Los Angeles Unified School District to create an Algebra Project cohort cohort at the Crenshaw High School. Man, we're going to talk about uh, all of that um, as we deal with calling. But first, let me introduce to you uh, introduce to some and uh, reintroduce to others, Stephen G. Butler. Stephen, what's up, man? Man, good to see you, Patrick. Long time, man. Long time, long time, man. Um, man, I, I we want to set up this conversation around the idea of calling. Genesis uh, 1 and 28 from the Bible talks about being fruitful. Well, he tells Adam, hey, man, listen. This is what I want you to do. I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, most of us understand being fruitful and multiply. If you got two kids like my brother uh, does, and <laughs> oh, I was about to let one go. And <laughs> if you might have one on the way, <laughs> like myself. Oh, blessings, hopefully, man. Hopefully my wife doesn't edit this, but <laughs> hey, man, I can't let her sis me right now. Uh, <laughs> I feel good about it. I don't know what it, the sex is, by the way. Um, but, um, we can talk about that too. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can. Uh, so, uh, man, I'm so happy about this, man. I'm so, I'm so, so okay. So sorry. So we know that in Genesis 1 and 28, um, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We know that being fruitful and multiply means having kids, but we always skip that next little phrase, which is, and fill the earth. We know it can't mean have more babies because he just told you be fruitful and multiply. So that's got to be about kids. But what's this fill the earth? And if you read the context, and we ain't got a bunch of time, what he's essentially saying is take this raw material of the garden because uh, Adam is a, is, a, is a gardener. He's a husband, uh, you know, in the classical sense of the word. and in the modern sense of the word, take the raw materials of this world and I want you to cultivate. Take this garden and turn it into a paradise. Take this garden and fill the earth. Take this garden, the raw materials of the gifts and skills and talents I've given you and make a kingdom out of it, Adam. And so that mandate doesn't just go for Adam. It goes to all Adam's descendants through Jesus Christ. And so that we all have callings and all have a divine gift responsibility that God has placed in us. And it's not just for the folk 
who preach and teach on Sundays. So we're with my brother, and I want to examine his calling. So, um, you know, be it accounting or archery or artistry, these are all important because so many people think that you're just called to work in a church and that um, the other things that people do are just quote-unquote jobs. And so I want to go to my brother and ask him the first question. Do you feel called and why? Yes, I I do feel called. Um, It's not necessarily vocation, though, you know, having worked with Catholic parishes in my organizing days, you know, I I am familiar with vocation and how we've taken that into a job when it it really means so much more. But I I do feel uh, called in what I do because so much of what I do is uh, how God has built me, right? In that I am a social person uh, and fundraising allows me to be social, allows me to be strategic. It allows me to do uh, the work of helping people, right? Um, You can have a great project or a great cause, um, but without the money, uh, it, it falls by the wayside, right? Uh, and I'm forgetting the the Talib Kweli line about that in his beautiful struggle album, where he talks about you know great you know you got these great nonprofits, but they have no idea about how to raise money, and so it, it's done for. Man, you can have vision, but you need provision behind. It. <laughs> <laughs> and that that is a good one, right? Um, so yes, first off, I do feel called uh in what I do and I'm thankful for it because of all the things that I did before uh law school um community organizing and and meeting with people and doing uh, individual meetings and learning about their self-interest are things that I use in in this you know season right now it's funny as you were talking about calling I was like man part of me is is feeling like do we take this a whole other direction because I'm just looking at listening to what you're talking about how God tells us to to uh be fruitful uh fill the earth um but at that time the 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 context was the garden of eden mm-hmm. and just how um uh, I mean, God being omniscient and, and existing outside of time and space, you know, speaking beyond what that was yeah, to what, the fall. existed. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, okay, be, you know, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right. But, but God, we, we talking about this garden. I'm looking at right. this. I can, I mean, we now know how big the earth is. Right. That's <laughs> and, crazy, right? and notwithstanding God's ability. So was he going to expand the garden of Eden if the fall didn't happen? And so Man. the, the garden then goes beyond Africa and it goes into Eurasia and Alaska and North and South America. Or is God saying, yeah, be fruitful and multiply because y'all going to mess this up. Yeah. 
and this command then speaks to go forth and make disciples, which y'all are going to get in a few a millennia yeah. later, right? You know what I mean? That's, right, yeah. So you, see, you see it just, it, it builds on itself, and it's like, wait, he he's not, that that command hasn't stopped happening, and it doesn't, and it's even extra Christian. or outside, Regardless of Christianity, whether you believe in Jesus or not, right? Every time somebody has a child, every time a scientist comes up with a new development, mm-hmm. uh, every time a new organization is born mm-hmm. a- and it's thriving, right. we are literally echoing, doing, you know, the fruitful, multiply, and filling. Right. The only difference is, are you going to give them the credit or not? Mm. But we all doing it. Yeah. No, so, I mean, so it's funny, and don't, we will go wherever you... I mean, because you've got a vision in the in the podcast, and you're curating, and you're there are things that you're that you're uh, seeking to to lift up, and 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 there's a trajectory for it. But as you were saying this, I'm like, man, that's a whole other word right there. Just the omniscience uh, yeah. of God, and just how the the profundity of His wisdom, right? Like, go multiply and fill the earth, but all you know of Earth is the Garden of Eden, right? Right. You know, in a few years, right, you're yeah. going to have these kids, uh, or, or not even a few years, like, we don't know how long how long that period of time was between this command and the fall, yeah. right, and then all these things that come afterwards. But right now, just go ahead and fill the earth, and and I'm going to give you some more later once you can handle that. Right. And, and, well, that's, that seems to speak to you in a certain way. I mean, what what... What are you feeling when you hear that? Um, I I just I uh I've been thankful or I've been fortunate and I'm thankful for for what God has given me because yes, I come out of the the Christian tradition, the Baptist tradition, right? But I've worked with Catholics, I've worked with other Protestant denominations, I've worked with with um with uh people of the of Judaism and the Abrahamic faith. Um, my father-in-law and his wife are, are Muslim, and so I've 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 have all these things around me. Right? Your grandfather was a preacher too, right? No, true. No, my grandfather wasn't. Um, my I have one grandfather, my mother's father, who was a deacon, and then okay. my father's father. Uh, was definitely not a preacher, but okay. <laughs> but uh, was a man who um, made some changes in his life later on. Um, just you talk about my stubbornness, my son's stubbornness. Uh, my grandfather on my father's side, who's the one I was really close to, uh, had cancer, fought cancer a couple times, and uh, was a smoker and dropped cold turkey back in like 1988 or so. Because he said he wanted to see me and my sister grow up to be adults. Just, I want to see them live, (laughs) right? So I'm going to stop smoking. That ain't typically the type of thing that people just be like, yeah, I'm going to get rid of these cools or these Charlestons or whatever it was back in the day. Because I remember going to the store, walking to the store with them in Tyler, Texas to get their cigarettes, he and my grandmother. And he said, you know, you got to get this cancer. I want to live and, and cold turkey. So definitely a man who believed in God and, um, and 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 was faithful, but not a preacher. Uh, 
because uh, I want to get into more into your background and uh, trying to understand, you know, why you, you know, the different avenues you went. What was it? Um, what did you, when, when you first uh, thought about what you wanted to do with your life way back in, you know, elementary school or junior high, whenever that happened for you, what did you want to do? I wanted to be a stockbroker. Okay, why? <laughs> um, because my father threw that out there. So I, I, of the multiple influences in my life, my father and my mother are the biggest ones. Parents divorced in 1989. But I remember being uh, mid-80s. Um, my father mentioning being a stockbroker. And so uh, that was something that stayed with me. And, uh, you know, later on, uh, it's funny, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, and I uh, used to watch the the Def Jam when I probably shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been, like, so from the very first yeah. season with Martin and, you know, him blowing up while he was doing Def Comedy Jam and having his television show, uh, I remember watching Sinbad's uh, Brain Damage and, and Son of a Preacher Man. I just love comedy, right? So, yeah. through these various iterations, right? But Graduating high school. Um, did you ever, before you go, did you ever do stand-up? Did you ever? No, attempt? no. But every once in a while, I'll think, like, man, if I had to put together a little set, what would I go in? You know, what would I want to joke on? Did you ever try a set? <laughs> no, no, oh, I haven't. Okay. But what's funny is uh, our mutual friend Tim and I talk about that sometimes, right? And then I listen to these podcasts. Matter of fact, when I was driving into Houston yesterday, um, I was listening to uh, Mark Marin interview Eddie Murphy, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I still love love comedians and just, uh, I guess to some extent, I'm still a student of comedy, right? So uh, I think we all enjoy laughing, right? Yeah, so do. even in my engagement in talking with folks uh, and raising money, right? Um, you know, people give to causes, they give to vision, and they give to people, right? And, and uh, if I can give you a good feeling about what you're giving money to, right, um, that's worthwhile. That, that's useful. So uh, thought about that for a while, never acted on it, uh, got to OU and uh, decided to, to uh, get a finance degree. And which is what I eventually did. I'm one of those people who never changed his major, though we know, especially with you and your friends in engineering, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the people who who started out in Nesby and then like now nah, to NIS, right? Oh, MI, whatever it is, NIS management, is, yeah. whatever, um, right? Just because thermo or P chem or organic chem was hard, whatever it was. So the finance was that connected to stockbroking or? Yeah, was... yeah. Um, my my dad, I remember him giving a book, giving me a book, which I'm sure is somewhere either in my house, my mom's house, or uh, in a storage unit on finance. And uh, I just never changed my degree. You know, a couple years in, I knew I was going to law school because I had a bunch of friends who were interested in politics, and we did student government and. Uh, I looked around, and this is the era of Clinton, and um, of course, you know, Clinton was a lawyer, 
a lot of senators and House members were lawyers, and then, of course, the judiciary are lawyers, so I thought that's where you want to create change and uh, to have power, right? Going to law school is worthwhile, but I, I just maintained and got my uh, finance degree, though I wish I had gotten more out of it. I kind of tuned out after my sophomore year into my junior year. Uh, was much more focused on extracurricular and, and uh, student organizations. But, you know, I can still at least know that there's a CAP-M theory and in, in various economic theories, uh, though I though, uh, they don't have a, a huge amount of relevance to my, my current life. It was interesting because, you know, when you talked about stockbroking and finance, mm-hmm. I was thinking about the fact that you're from Tulsa. And Black Wall Street. I don't know why that popped up in my mind. You know, it's crazy uh, being from Tulsa, um, and of course Tulsa is getting a lot more uh, visibility now thanks to Watchmen, and this being the hundredth anniversary in a few months. But you know, the amount of people who left Tulsa um, that have that are just changing the world or doing amazing things out in the world, uh, <clears throat> but have roots back in Tulsa is crazy, right? Like John Rogers in Chicago, who runs Aerial Investment, uh, Melody Hobson, CEO, and you know married to George Lucas, but right, but he his roots go back to Tulsa, mm, and his great grandfather leaving, a grandfather, great grandfather leaving as a result of 1921 and the massacre. So it's funny, dad just wanted me uh, coming from East Texas of limited means. Uh, He was an engineer. He was a civil who quickly uh, moved into management because he saw that's where uh, there was money to be made, not necessarily in the engineering, but in the management of engineers. Um, Later went on to get his MBA. Um, He figured that would be a way that I could have financial means and financial independence. And so I I listened to him and uh, that was my major. And then uh, you went to law school there at the university of Oklahoma. uh, How, how was that? I was good, uh, man. How did that shift your perspective about uh, what you felt like you were called to do? Man, OU was phenomenal from the relationships and the people, right? And a couple of the professors I still keep in contact with, um, a mentor of mine, uh, Dr. Okadiji, Ruth Okadiji, was uh, incredible. Still prays over my life and my family, and I pray for her. Um, Jay Tonius, one of my closest friends, it's funny, we went to high school together, went to college together but it was because we were law school classmates that we really became close and a number of others. But OU was, was incredible because it gave me an, a knowledge of the law um, and a foundation. Uh, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to, to make money and help people. Those were my two goals, right? So mm-hmm. I, I always, didn't know. If, not always hand in hand. <laughs> not always hand in hand, but I was like, you know, uh, 
Willie, Gary, Johnny Cochran, Ben Crump, right? I, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know how it was to mail, but if there was a way mm-hmm. to make money, I didn't need Willie Gary's jet, but like if there was a way I could make money and help yeah. people, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and then came out, and uh, I didn't go to the firm that I had clerked at, uh, just because I didn't want to be in Tulsa and, and make that money. So I came down to Houston. Um, to live with mom and figure it out where, where, you know, where I'm actually the same place where I'm taping this now, uh, out in Katy and, uh, t- taking the Oklahoma bar to the Texas bar and, uh, ultimately decided that I didn't want to practice law because I had gotten involved with community organizing through my church with IAF and the industrial areas. Man, let's slow down real quick. What? You okay? So you, you're home, uh, and I remember uh, this time because you know that that was the time we were all hanging and we were all in the same circles. Oh, it was good fun, man! It was great fun. It was <laughs> one of the funnest times. Of my I life. know, right? Yeah, it was just it was crazy. You know, it's like you all you think, man. Once you leave college, you're never gonna see be in the same place with most of these people. But Houston offered the opportunity for us as young men. Campbell to, was here. Tim yeah. came in from, from Kansas City and met Courtney. Um, Steven was, uh, I mean, Good Hope was just a launching pad. We were getting yeah, that good man. word from Pastor Cofield. And then he had, amazing. like, uh, Pastor Calhoun coming off the bench, had uh-huh. Clemens coming yeah, off the bench. I crazy, mean, it was yeah, it was crazy, bro. And when you know, a lot of times when we say a bunch of talent, I think it was more than that. It was like it was community, right? Yes, exactly. that happened to be talented and extraordinary guys going off to do some some amazing things. But I mean, in people who education or not, right? Because you had. Mac and Jamil, incredibly high educated, right? But then it'd be somebody who just like grew up in Houston and and just wanted to like get down and and spread the gospel, right? And boys was just cool. There was no like, right? You know, you know, as as you know, being forty one now, that's hard to do to to bring what we you know. Forget outside of race, I think the class thing is hard to bring together. It's like people, you know, we always couch it in. Well, I really like to do certain things, and they don't like to do the things I do, and it, it's just like, right, guys, we're all kind of like going in the same direction. You know, it's, it, right. you try you try to recapture what you what you've seen and what you heard and what you know can be possible because right. you lived it. Right. Well. Think about what we had at OU. And again, I don't mean many of us who talk about what the 90s meant at OU, right? But you had the changing of the academic standards from the 22 to like a 26 or something, right? Like, and, And in the midst of that, you had people that were coming from, you know, Oak Cliff. Coming from Tulsa, yeah. uh, North Tulsa, Gilcrease yeah. Hills, Northeast Oklahoma City, Forest yeah. Park, Oklahoma City, right? Yeah. Um, Richardson. It, it was Missouri City. It was yeah. it was Detroit. It was War yeah. Acres. It was, 
all that coming to OU at the same time, Little Rock, North Little Rock, whatever suburb, and it was a lot of people who had education and had scores or right may not have had scores under this new regime, under these new standards, but just all coming together to have a good time. And some of us graduate, most of us graduated, whether it took us some time or not. Some of us didn't, but it was just good fun. Right. And what you're describing, like what we had in Houston was uh, a lot of folks under that same type of of situation, but who were like, you know, wanting to get together, find a spouse, hang. Um, But uh, education or not, just like, let's go and hang. Because only Jesus like brought a lot of us together, you know? (laughs) Right, right. You know, man, it's crazy. I'm reminiscing on all of this. So, you know, back to the to the question, what in that time made you shift from looking for the the law firm job to I'm finna be the Barack Obama? Because literally, bro, about the time you were doing your thing, Barack was doing his. I don't know if you ever saw the parallels and similarities. I always did. So a guy named uh, Lawrence Tolliver, who was my barber in Los Angeles, right, who is the man. Uh, Mr. Tolliver had Bill Bratton come through his shop, had Charlie Beck. Like, it was a right, it's like a rite of passage uh, for you if you're a political or or official in Los Angeles, Mr. Tolliver uh, is somebody you come to see. And, um, I met him during my organizing days, the end of my organizing days in Los Angeles. And you know, your barber, you talk and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Oh, you Obama, you a young Obama, right? Yeah. Cause yeah. this is 2009. So this is after the election. Mm-hmm. And so that's just what, what he dubbed. And I was like, Mr. Tolliver, no. So president Obama went to organizing, then went to law school. Right. Mm-hmm. I went to law school, then got into community organizing, and I have no desire to go into electoral politics. That's just not what I what I want to do. But that didn't stop Mr. Tolliver, right? So I mean, he it it just was what it was. But no, I um I loved politics from an early age, man. So right, I'm I'm this ten year old who wants to be a stockbroker who's reading the newspaper right uh in the morning like eating breakfast because my parents subscribed to the paper i still subscribe to it i subscribe to it online um and that's the challenge right i'm gonna just let you know how do you get your kids to to love to read when you read on your phone right so they think you're neglecting them but no i'm reading the washington post i'm reading the journal right i'm reading it on my phone i'm just you know so that same it, thing it my just wife is. be doing. She's like, "Oh, you you just on on uh Instagram? No, I'm <laughs> I'm reading, reading right. my Bible. Right, right. Now I was on Instagram, right. you know, 15 minutes ago, but right now I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, if we're gonna get any of the stimulus money or not. Right, right exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, it, it. I was that kid who loved 
reading, right? So I I was paying attention to the IRA, you know, uh, clashes with, you know, in the 80s. And that just, I just love politics, man. Uh, and what organizing, um, no, no offense to law school or any of the other education that I received, right? I, I received some of the best education that you can get. Like my high school, right? <clears throat> I'll put up against any high school in the country, particularly when we were there, because we were the first high school in the state to have the A to, to have the IB program. We also had AB uh, AP, and then at the same time, right? I've got Super Bowl champions uh and you know nba champions whatever coming out of my high school right Mm -hmm. um you could go and for the ib diploma or you could be shooting dice right (laughs) you know with 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 whoever right yeah It, it was it was a worldly uh experience so you know one of my good friends I keep in contact with is the grandson of a U.S. senator, right? Who's quadruple Stanford. I used to say he was triple Stanford. He's like, no, 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 I'm actually quadruple. I mean, not, not. I mean, wow. he's just joking with me, right? So yeah. I got the chance to to meet incredible people, um, and and have this amazing uh, experience in organizing. And, well, I was going to say in in high school and just oh, the in education high school. I yeah, received. Okay, okay. But my organizing experience taught me how the world works, uh, and that that is incredible. I will always credit the IAF uh, and being able to work in Dallas and in you know um, South Central um, with just teaching me things that I, I would not have learned otherwise that I still take with me to this day. When you say um, teach it, the organizing taught you how the world works, what do you mean by that? Right. So um, in, in IF organizing, we talk about the world as it is versus the world as it should be, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm in South Central um, or South LA, right, seeing the greatest um decimation right of black wealth that hopefully we will ever see in our time in 2000 uh 7 8 9 10 right as people who came from Mississippi um Georgia Alabama Arkansas Oklahoma like my family in the 1940s 50s 60s 70s who um bought into the American dream or this idea of the American dream and are living in uh, South LA or Inglewood or Hawthorne or Compton, um, Linwood, wherever, and are losing their homes, right? Because of um, the, the subprime mortgage prices and the bad loans that, yes, they signed up for, um, but there were factors that um, the deck was stacked against them, right? Um, at the time, you know, 1970 wages has essentially stagnated from like for a 30 year period from the from the late 70s. But in um, you know Southern California, real estate was a sure bet. And so, if you're 
you know, 40, 50 years old, um, and you've got aging parents and you need to take care of them, but you've also got, you know, these kids who are trying to go to college and you need money for that. Um, or you need to pay private school tuition because you don't feel that the school district is the best bet for your kids. Um, where are you going to get the money from that? And a lot of people took it out of their home, right? So you would think that uh, our government, our, um, uh, it's in the public's interest to help people stay in their loans. We actually put forward a plan that we brought to the California Housing Finance Agency and others that said, you know what, you can go and have the government take an interest in these people's homes right and once the property uh bounces back right and they gain the equity back because these people don't want to move they're not flippers they just want to be able to stay in their homes and know that they're not going to get foreclosed on let's go ahead allow these people to stay in their homes and then right whenever the the house appreciates and it ever is sold in 10 15 20 years we can go and um like sharing the equity of that, right? Mm. Um, but let's help out these homeowners. And government said, nah, we're not trying to do that. We're going to give the money to these banks. Um, we're going to put them through these stress tests and yada, yada, yada. And so the homeowners, the people who needed the help the most, didn't get it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a lesson in how power works, how money works, how this country works, that you're not going to get in law school, right? Um, And so we worked on that. We also worked on, like you said, the Algebra Project. What Um, is that? So the Algebra Project is is brilliant uh, at its core. It is the idea, uh, the initial concept came from Bob Moses, who uh, one of my personal heroes was organizing in the Mississippi Delta with Fannie Lou Hamer, um, uh, Ella Baker, uh, and others who, <clears throat> you know, we talk about Dr. King and what he did for the civil rights movement, and it, and he did great things, but it was, there were local generals on the ground, you know, generals, lieutenants that were doing that hard work the the hard and slow and patient work of organizing to bring voting rights and uh and uh he was one of them right uh bob went down there and left his studies in new york and organized in in mississippi um later uh went to africa and spent some time and um, came back to the States and came up with something called the Algebra Project, which is an experiential learning model that helps students who are behind in, in grasping math concepts and teaches them how to, to uh, learn integers and math and algebra uh, based upon their lived experience, right? So when we did this with Crenshaw, we created a number line by going and taking students down to, I don't know if in LA, if it's Central Station, Union Station, whatever, uh, and just took a, a ride on their red line and marked out the different stops 
And then when we went back to class later, we we mapped it out based upon those stops so that they didn't understand X, Y coordinates on uh, theoretical terms. It was something that they had done in living it out, right? Because um, every kid, everybody has the ability to learn. The question is, are we willing to take it to to where their their level of understanding, right? A good friend of mine, uh, Anthony Maddox, uh, is a professor, just one of the smartest people I know, you know, studied artificial intelligence, right? And now his job at USC in the Rossier School is teaching teachers how to teach. But he pointed out to me, you know, we're in the 21st century using a 19th century education model. We know every kid doesn't learn the exact same way. The problem is um, our unwillingness to invest in other education models that fit kids and meet them where they are. Right? And he told me this like 10, 12 years ago, right? That we're yeah. in a 21st century using a, a 19th century uh, education model. Yeah, what's crazy about what you said and, and that I, I'm just picking up, they basically were trying to, we, we teach in abstractions and theory and, and, and conceptual ideas, which, and, and it's funny, we measure intelligence on that too, but I'm like, we, did, we don't teach babies, babies don't learn that. People don't actually learn in ideas, concepts, and abstractions. They learn in concrete realities. Mm -hmm. A baby knows dada, not because they understand the representational <laughs> word dada, but because she she or he has looked at you, you know, your kids looked at you, heard somebody say some sounds, and then attached the sound to the concrete reality of daddy. Right. And that's how they learn. Man, it's crazy that we still have this this system that only works for a few and not for everyone. Let, let's take it even further, right? We say God is love. You don't just sit that on a Christian and be like, all right, now go run with that. Right. right. You say, okay, now how did your parents love you? Right. God right. teaches us through, he, we call him father because that's something we can grasp our mind around. Right. How does a father and a mother, how do your parents, you know, love you? Yeah. Yeah. But that's not what we do in our educational system. No, no, no. Man, no, and then crazy. and then we hold it against those who don't who don't grasp it. Man, that is crazy. And so this project was uh I mean, how did how how does organizing tie into this project? So the project is phenomenal, but if you don't have people in the district who are willing to champion it, um, like many programs, it has unlimited shelf life, unlimited ability to get off his feet. So we were hired or contracted to uh, be the organized, to do the organizing work to allow it to gain its foothold uh, in the district. And so I was uh, assigned to Crenshaw High School to work with the teachers uh, and, and families there, as well as <clears throat> to help do some of the political work at Beaudry to make sure that uh, LAUSD allowed the the system to grow and to thrive. Man, I that, that's phenomenal. So, <laughs> you you know you you hit on something. Half the great ideas that we have 
and we come up with. I'm just kind of tying the fact that the idea is one thing, but the execution and the buy-in, well, no, the buy-in as is needed to execute those, execute those ideas, most of us don't have the ability to, to get the buy-in. We got the program. We know how to execute it. Maybe we saw it somewhere else. And so organizing as a principle, as a reality, is something that, man, you know, so, so, so t- tie this back. Um, okay, let's talk about Black Lives Matter movement. Okay, let's, let's just, <sighs> yeah, I want to talk yeah. about this. Okay. Uh, we got the ideas. There's, I mean, I can go to the website, there's platforms. Some some people say it's good. These ideas are good. These ideas are bad. But I'm just saying, yeah. You know, these are ideas. Do you think that organizations like that and many others have the ability to take those ideas, get buy-in, and get people to execute? Potentially, yes. But here's the deal: Are we talking Black Lives Matter? Black Lives Matter movement? Are we talking Black Lives Matter, the organization? Two totally different things, right? Yeah. Go to the website. That's the Black Lives Matter organization. Black Lives Matter movement is, I think, much larger than the organization. Uh, And and so any of us can be, like, a member of that, right? Because we believe, if you believe that Black Lives Matter, right, you're part of the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, there's the actual organization that has chapters and, you know, has its own, um, has its own, you know, I guess, mission and whatnot that are, that are somewhat intertwined. Right. And they came from the same place, but there are two different things. Right. Yeah. So would you, someone called you Stephen, the organizer when Stephen was organizing or now, and said, hey, can you help us? Somebody from BLM said, hey, can you help us? What would be the first couple of things you would say to them? Well, let's sit down and talk, right? Because so for the Industrial Areas Foundation and its affiliates, right, our organizations, whether it's TMO in Houston or Dallas Area Interfaith in Dallas or 1LA in Los Angeles or Voice in Oklahoma City, which I'm, uh, you know, my PTA is a member of, right? Our goal is to build power. And many of us, right, myself included, shirk somewhat from the idea of I want power, right? But the, 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 the word power, like in Spanish, poder, right? It just simply means to be able to. I can. I can act, right? So why would you not want power, right? You think about the 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 of uh, someone who completely lacks power. Yeah. That's an infant. They they mm. can't they can't do anything for themselves. They they mm. literally, as you will learn soon enough, right? The only thing you don't have to teach a child to do is cry and urinate. Mm-hmm. They don't have the ability to poop. They don't have the ability to eat. They don't have the ability to sleep, right? Who wants to be in that state, right? We want to be able to have power and to be able to act. And so what 
IF organizations are looking for is the ability to build power, and you get power in our minds from one or two forms, organized people and organized money. And most of us don't have a lot of money, but we do have the ability through our networks and our relationships to organize a ton of people. And so that's, so if BLM were to come to me and say, hey, uh, like to join or work with you, um, well, let's have a conversation because these are the things, this is what organizing looks like for us. These are our goals. We focus on the things that unite us, right? Quality schools, um, uh, at good jobs, paying jobs that, you know, support families, uh, quality infrastructure, right? Um, safe neighborhoods, um, you know, uh, the ability to not get shot in the street by yeah. police, you know. The, yeah, the, yeah. So I think the there's there, yeah. there might be some things we can come together on and work around, right? right? Now we can discuss tactics and all that. That can come later. But are these things that are interesting to you? Um, are you willing to do the work to find other people within your organization that want to do this? Because as opposed to the idea of the charismatic leader organizing is about people recognizing their own agency and being able to um, uh, have some say in their lives and, and to, you know, to work, to create change with other people. Um, it, in our minds, organizing is critical to the democratic traditions because it's, you know, Patrick and Stephen coming together and saying, you know what, we don't fully agree on all of this, but I'm willing to work with you around this safe drinking water. If you're willing to work with me on getting some speed, uh, some road humps to make sure that people don't come flying up and down our street. Right. And through that, you build power and you build, um, you build um, common cause and people working to come together and to have civil discourse to have a common conversation. Man, uh, we're going to have more of this conversation offline because I, I, there's something about this that I feel like, I feel like whatever, right now we need more, we, the country, needs more organization. Yeah, uh, fully agree. You know, and, and, you know, and the process of organizing would probably bring some people together. Fully agree. The The challenge is, um, you know, particularly, in, I won't say, yeah, I, I'll say this. What, what I found the challenge to be in my organizing um, as an African-American uh, in so many churches, right? Pastors not being willing to, one, have, allow their leaders like their lay leaders to have a role in this work because, and again, I come from the Baptist tradition, right? Where you really got a fiefdom that you can bequeath to your mm-hmm. child, mm-hmm. regardless of what their educational credentials or whatever, but let's go back to calling whatever their calling may be. Right. right? It, it's, it's not the ecclesiastical system where the Bishop moves, whoever, right. which, you know, has its own challenges. Yeah. Right. But it's like, yeah. Oh yeah, pastor da 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 senior leaves it to pastor da 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 junior, right? And yeah, there it yeah, is. Yeah. And so having 
other voices come to the table and say, um, yes, pastor, this is what we want to do. And we want the, the church to invest some dollars in us being part of this organization where, you know, we work with other congregations and other institutions in our city and in our community to create change. Unfortunately, that does, that does not happen as much, right, in, in the African-American church. But it needs to, right, because really it harkens back to that civil rights tradition that, that we uh, you know of SCLC and SNCC and, right, uh, yeah, we know John Lewis and we know Diane Nash and, and Bernard Lafayette and James Bevel and Marion Barry and but there were a number of leaders that are unsung, right, that were at going to the Highlander School and were learning uh, these traditions and were just doing their part, right? And they were all leaders in their own way, but we, we've reduced it to Malcolm, and, or not Malcolm, Martin and his, his cabinet. And that, right, that, yeah. And we do it in injustice, right? Yeah, well, I, I I think that's a lack of, you know, these are easy categorizations that allow people, well, allow people who we don't want to be curious to be able to say, ah, I know about the civil rights movement. Yeah, man, it's crazy. I recommend to anybody who has a chance, read David Halberstam's The Children. The it children. is incredible. Okay. okay. I'm going to take a, uh, I'm going to read it as well. I'm going to do something a little light real quick and then yeah. we'll get back to it. Uh, just what you hear, answer. All right. All right. Scale of one, one to 10. How good are you at keeping secrets? Um, maybe a five. Okay. Ariel or Jasmine? Um, Ariel. Okay. First celebrity crush. Brandy, maybe? Brandy. Norwood. Yes. Okay. All right. Which is funny because uh, my family lived down the street from them in Carson, but neither here nor really? there. <laughs> my, family is, my family is huge. Like I didn't know it at the time, but I yeah, I've heard I've got Ray J stories, right? So <laughs> Okay, okay. So y'all might be y'all might be y'all are close, not kin though. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Dawn or dusk? Dawn. Okay. Why Dawn? Uh, when we were online, uh, it gave me an appreciation for getting up early, man. And I like being ahead of the day. It's one of the things I hated about being on the West Coast because you're two to three hours behind the action. Yeah, and so wow. I believe it's very important to have a plan and have an idea of what you want to do for the day because the day is going to hit you in the face regardless. So you got to be ready for it. Dang. Good stuff. If you could travel back in time, which period would you go to? Um, probably the either the time we were talking about or uh, just OU, man. It was, I mean, I, I, I see just the way my mind works, right? So you've got... Uh, responsibility and um you've got uh not i don't want to say accountability but it's 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 um 
your access, right? To to okay. to I mean in like eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one is like that period where you've got the ability to do a lot of stuff but not be necessarily hold accountable and have those mistakes follow you right the rest of your life. Okay. Uh, and so you get to do a lot of things while at the same time you ain't paying a whole bunch of bills, right? You might, depending on what your parents are doing, you may make you put car, you know, gas in your car, car insurance, all right. But you know, most of us aren't responsible for paying rent and putting all the food on our table at like 18, 19, or you just take, you, you're taking it out of your, your student loan money. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. which, you know, at our peer, we were fortunate enough. Maybe you could refinance that at two point, whatever percent, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Like the idea of unsecured credit at that low of a percentage, you're not getting that, right. you know, at any other point in your life. And you're not definitely not getting that at today's rate. So, yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a good time, man. It was a good time, man. Like if we could have gone and known, you know, let me take this student loan money, put this in Google. It's going to become alphabet. You know what I mean? Just man. With, with, with hindsight, there's so much we would have done differently. Um, and I remember wanting to invest in Google at the time, but reading some, some article that was like, that's dumb. Don't do it, man. I think sometimes, man, those articles, or it's just right to write. If you yeah. feel something, do it. At least you could say, I made the mistake. Right, right. Well, again, man, like, we were, I don't know what type of scholarship you had at um a, at law school, but, you know, I had a good scholarship in law school. Also took some loan money out for living expenses. And, you know, say you just live on ramen and don't know buy whatever or or you know eat good stuff you don't need i mean like exactly the i mean being able to refinance your student loans i think 2.75 percent like that the we just didn't know unsecured credit (laughs) doesn't come at that low of an interest rate the stuff that we you know could have done with that incredible money isn't that cheap no yeah. Do you uh, okay? Do you snore? I do have terrible sleep apnea. Um, my wife has been on me. I need to go and get the um, get the test so I can get a CPAP. Shoot, my dad has too. one. My I think my grandparents snored. I, I I feel bad for my parent or for my kids and what's coming down the pipe. Yeah, I just probably need to do the same thing, bro. Place you most want to travel. Uh, right now I've got, uh, a friend who runs our kids preschool and she does a program. She spends her time, you know, non COVID, uh, in Savannah. And she's actually friends with the people who own the gray, uh, which is a restaurant in Savannah that's gotten some pub recently. So Savannah has kind of been on my mind. Uh, my wife's family, her father's side goes back to Charleston. so. Okay. Um, Savannah, Georgia, Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. But just getting back and seeing friends and family in LA. Oh, okay. Favorite junk food? Trader Joe's has these chocolate 
uh, coconut almonds that uh-huh. are like sinful, bro. Okay, okay, I would try those out, <laughs> dude. They I'm remind you, uh, they remind you of the world's finest chocolate uh, almonds that that whoever was slaying, right? But yeah. they're good, bro. But what what yeah. were you gonna say? No, no, no. I said I, my wife probably right now would uh, definitely appreciate that. So I'm gonna go to Trader <laughs> Joe's and get her a small gift. She probably will hear this afterwards, but get two of them, bro. Get two, two of okay, them. So I can have one, yeah. No, so you might get a few because if, if she's pregnant and she wants them, you're going to give them up, right? Like, okay. just take a handful and be like, baby, these yours. Okay. All right. Let me, I'm, in fact, I would do that today. Um, favorite childhood TV show? Uh, Man, so hard to say. Um, I, I've, I've got some great affinity over the Cosby show, notwithstanding what it means now, but uh, it, it was incredible. Um, also love the G.I. Joe cartoons, man. Okay. All right. Oh, let me throw this at you. Come on. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a man. Craig of the Creek on Cartoon Network, bro. Okay. Is Craig for the, the latchkey kids. It is a okay. cartoon. It, it's one of the best cartoons that I've ever seen done. Okay. And if you're a kid of the eighties who, you know, we were just allowed to roam, like it it'll it'll hit you. Exactly. Man, these kids now, I you know, sometimes I, I, I I'm like, you know, parents would be like I'm like, yo, I can't really relate because I got to do Man, we got to do so three much. or four times I mean, you can't watch a kid all the time. Like well But we try to like, and Mine are, mine are, are seven and eight. Uh, Gene will be uh, uh, seven. I'm sorry, four and seven. Gene will be eight in April. And um, man, like I don't know what happened, but we 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 put these hedges on them, uh, and you don't even realize you're doing it. Yeah. A good friend of mine runs a bookstore in uh, Oklahoma City now in Edmond. Said that. Um, even more than peddling sex, we traffic in fear. That is mm-hmm. the number one thing we traffic in. Wow. That is, bro, that's phenomenal, man. The, it, to, it's to deep. even think about that. Yeah, it's deep. Um, last Halloween costume. We don't celebrate Halloween. Okay. One of those things of, uh, of uh, you know, going in, to Donald Bell's church, man, and it just had us rethink it. So the last Halloween costume we allowed Ruby, she was maybe two, um, and two or three, and we let her be a lamb. And that's one of the things that our kids miss out on every year. And it's hard because our kids are incredibly cute. So one right. of the things we thought is, well, maybe we'll let them do like dress up birthday parties, and it just uh-huh. hasn't materialized. But yeah, our kids are—they uh, don't do Halloween. Yeah, because you could do dress up on other days. And I have a, I have a sugar tooth. Like we've got a candy drawer. Like I just yeah. told you about my favorite junk yeah, food, and I've did. got like, and I'm like, man, this dude is a candy connoisseur. I need to go back to him every time I need a new one. <laughs> so those chocolate almonds. Yeah. So our kids are not missing out on candy by wow. any stretch of the imagination. So, so Halloween is candy and costumes, and now it's so over sexualized, particularly for adults. So there's no need for it. Right, exactly. Cake or pie? Okay. Okay. Uh, Do you ever post inspirational quotes on social media? 
No. I'm typically uh, calling something out that I think needs to be said, right? Like, I've had to stop myself from posting reminders about, um, you know, what happened January 6th, right? Because it's gotten lost in the consciousness. Or, you know, Jay-Z, we're celebrating Jay-Z, but he sold out Cap and the cause so that he could sell Ace of Spades and make a bunch of money on title and get a uh and have the weekend sing Coke anthems, right? Like <laughs> these are things at the Super Bowl. This yeah. is this is what he sold out. This is what he kneecapped the 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 uh, the movement for. That's the type of things I would you typically consider would you post. consider him uh did he would you consider did he give up power or is he getting power in your opinion? He's getting money. He's getting money. He's losing credibility uh, with his original core audience and gaining it with uh, those who uh, believe that capitalism and money is important. Okay. So so was he gaining or losing power to you though? As an organizer, do you think he's, He's he's definitely I would say gaining power and he's gaining influence. Okay. Um and he's gaining he's probably gaining power because he has the ability to tap into money in other ways, right? So and then let's be honest, within our community, uh the African American community, there are a lot of people who look up and just laud him for being able to make the uh the transition. Um Right. And he and he's done it on his own terms. Right. I remember a few years back who he had the hat that said retired drug dealer. Right. And right. that was just like, ha ha ha. Like, no, like I almost cursed on the podcast. Oh, like, but that, that's not funny, bro. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. As someone who's, um, you know, had members of the family who have suffered and dealt with uh, addiction, like there's real harm that comes from that. Now at the, at at the very least, like, can, can you not repent and say, man, I did some awfully, awfully terrible things to get to where I've gotten to. um, And, I see the error of that and I'm going to spend my time trying to make it right. But, you know, every, you know, next verse is, you know, about those, those <laughs> days. And there seems to be no reformation yeah. uh, 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 or, or no reform for that. So it's funny that you say that because I think the 30th anniversary of New Jack City was yeah. last week. And I was listening to a conversation on Clubhouse with all the original actors producers and directors and musicians uh you know uh what's his name christopher christopher williams christopher williams and you know all those guys yeah mario van peoples chris rock all right they were all on this clubhouse chat and remembering the movie and you watched the movie it was about drug you know drug dealing was in the movie but those guys were careful to say this isn't the life these people all die or, you know, yeah. and there's a terrible cost to this thing. And, you know, that was right before we, you know, that was like 1990, 91, mm-hmm. where they were kind of be able to uh, 
uh, shoulder crack here, and I was just, it was just interest. I, it was interesting to hear them think that they had to have a message, and as violent and as vile as a movie, you know, people could uh, portray the movie. But then here's Jay Z. He's 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 saying, look, it doesn't end up like that for everybody. Right. Look at me. Right. Right. You know, it's funny. Right. Uh, N.W.A. Get, I, 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 for better or worse, my belief is that of the past 30, 35 years, uh, N.W.A. is the biggest influence on the African-American community. Mm. You say that. Well, uh, you're going to have to elaborate on that. Unpack that. You've got, you've got Run DMC saying... You cheating on your wife. You know that ain't right. NWA comes back a few years later and says, a bitch is a bitch. I ain't the one. She swallowed it, right? Yeah. In the narrative shifts. Yeah. You've got Easy e the, the drug dealer turned record exec mogul. We're, we're now glorifying a gangster lifestyle. And so um, when that comes out, you know, the message, uh, East Coast rap, you know, takes note. And even, it's not like drug dealing was new. It, right. it was only on it's the West Coast. It was, yeah. Yes. But now it's okay to glorify it, right? Um, and so even though there may be movies like New Jack City that have the message, um, in it that that's not the lifestyle many of us take, but there's still a there's still money to be made. There are still women to be got, and and that I I see yeah. NWA as that turning point. Yeah, no, it's interesting that you 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 would you know um point that out, and you know I I think that. Uh, yeah, so I was talking to another artist, uh, well, an artist um, by the name of Reconcile, and he he's in rap spaces, inspirational gospel music, gospel uh, art, gospel rap, gospel um, visuals. And one of the things he said was like, right now, the number one listened to artist on YouTube is this cat. Um, NBA Young Boy. Oh yeah, and he says when you listen to NBA Young Boy, like every, you know, it's number one artist, and it's been he's been the number one artist for a while. And every three months, he drops a project. And he says something kind of interesting. He said, "Man, listen, you're gonna think I'm crazy, but he's tapped into a frequency." And mm. I said, "Man, you know, help me understand that. I'm not a musician. I don't, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, bro." He said, man, no, he's tapped into a frequency. And, and you know, when people say they're vibing in the studio, when they when he's vibing, he catches this frequency. And he said, what kind of frequency is that? He's like, it's the devil's frequency. And I really didn't. I said, man, that's a, that's, that's a bold statement. Help me understand. Mm-hmm. He said, man, he said, when you listen to the lyric, he said, people who have an untrained ear hear it and think the beat's not that tight. I've heard better beats. I've heard way better beats. The lyrics aren't that tight. This sucks. And they and they change it. 
but people who are tapped into the frequency mm. is murder, kill, rape, violence, blah 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 blah. Wow. And it they just they just vibe. He said this music now, or and I'm you know this is coming from a, a 30 year old, right? Right. He's, you know, and so he's, he's close to it. Right. And so he said, man, this music now is, uh, it's all about frequency and vibe. Hmm. You either feel it and think it's amazing or wow. you don't because it's not about the logic or the flow or, you know, all of that. That's, that's from the generation before where you think, you know, Oh man, you know, his flow is tight, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, the lyrics are deep and dense. He's like, this music is vibe music. You either get it or you don't. Wow. Man. Um, but anyway, I I I wanted to shift gears to family and calling and uh I wanted to ask you what what does when I say family what does family mean to you well uh unfortunate it, right now it, it immediately goes to Gabrielle and, and our children and then I think about you know spawning off of that uh but right now typically every I mean especially in a pandemic when you're being uh well hopefully being careful and cautious right my i think about them in the decisions that i make yeah no i i think yeah it 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 almost constricts your idea of family too and the people in my household yeah the household exactly yeah uh is family part of the calling that you feel or is it separate to you it, it it is um and for me i think about um you know what, it's part of the calling that's what you're saying it is okay, okay i think about what god has called me to have you know to to the role that it god has called me to within my family mm-hmm. um husband and father um what does that mean what are the responsibilities that come with that what are the benefits and the blessings that come with that right uh and then also when i th- think about professional calling how that works to reinforce the the calling that i have in my home mm-hmm. um very fortunate i've got uh a profession and a job right that did not need to be in the office i didn't need to uh you know, put myself in harm's way, uh, which I'm thankful for. Um, I had a supervisor and a boss whose thought was, if you can get your job done, do whatever you need to do to get your job done. And I'm uh, understanding of the things that you have going on at home that affect your ability to get your job done, right? So yeah. there wasn't undue, unnecessary pressure and I've really felt during this time, good leadership has become clear and bad leadership has become clear, right? Mm-hmm. Supervisors who need to have their hands on everything and, um, you know, 
unnecessarily check in with folks, um, put people through the ringer. Um, that's become clear. Um, and then folks who recognize just get the work done, right? The job is still yeah. the job. Right. Um, but let me be uh, supportive of you and, and the things that you have going on to to uh, assist you in being able to to get that job done on your term, right? It's not on yeah. these prescribed terms. Yeah. Um, I, I just, man, this has been, the pandemic's been a stress test. Yeah. In so many ways, right? Mm. Do you, um, in the midst of your, your calling and in the midst of all that uh, you've got going, I mean, how do you, you raise two children and, and what do you do in light of all of that? Ooh, um, I, I mean, personally, it's been challenging, right? The past few months have really weighed on me. Um, I dealt with some depression back in 2009, 10, and I told myself that I would never allow myself to go back there again. If it, you know, so much as it depended on me. But I started to feel some creep in. Uh, and so I've been thinking, okay, what do I need to do to address this so that it doesn't, you know, uh, come further, right? Now I've got a wife and two kids that depend on me, and you know, which I didn't have back then. Uh, and so I'm very invested in addressing it early on, whereas back then the idea would be to white knuckle it and you know to man up or whatever right yeah now it's much more well let's be vulnerable and and let's figure this out and let's talk with some people who care about you and you know my one of my greatest i've done this before so i would say regrets but also fears is taking out my issues on the people around me Right. Mm. I, I just I, I I don't want that. I don't want people doing it to me. Right. right. You know, yeah. when you when you're in deep relationship with people, it happens. It happens. Yeah. It it just does, right? That's what you signed up for when you sign up to be in relationship with people. But let me not make it a normal practice, you know, let me where I see it happening or understand that it's gonna happen, let me do what I can to to cut it out, uh yeah. and to do better. So um, like I said, it, it's been a challenge, but, uh, you know, it's, I, I wake up and I go to sleep believing that if God's called you to do something, then it's possible, right? Mm -hmm. If, yeah. if God's placed you in a situation, right? I, I don't believe God tries to trick us. Mm-hmm. I don't think God tries to trap us, right? It may not go the way, look the way you expected it to to be and go, but it's there. It's possible. And so your role is being patient and figuring out what is it that God would have you to do to get there, right? And, and again or is is it even are you focused on the wrong there yeah man that, uh go ahead i'm sorry no that's just kind of where i land on it right yeah 
Yeah. Um, do you feel the tension sometimes of having to balance or have you felt in the past having to balance what you feel led to do, called to do in uh, your professional life and work in general mm-hmm. and being present and leading your family? Do you, have you felt that tension in the past? I have. Um I have in 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 my mind, you know, the the father husband provider role was okay. I need y'all and you to allow me to do this because ultimately this this inures back to the home, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, but if you ain't got no home because you don't push everybody away, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so let's let's focus up, and that's kind of getting back to what I was saying about uh, what God's called you to do, right? God ain't called me to be a fundraiser, right? Like this will be your job, right? Right. God, I believe, has called me to be a husband and a father, and the fundraiser assistant dean at the at the Oklahoma City University School of Law works for that. When the, when it doesn't work for that, then I got to find a new role. Yeah. And that's been the shift for me over the past I don't know however many years, right? Mm. Um So do you think that has that has influenced your decision to look at calling for you as seasons? It seems like when oh, a season yeah. is in, it's in, and when a season is up for you, it's up. Yeah. I, I, again, I try not to be too attached to stuff that I shouldn't be attached to, right? I need to be attached to Gabrielle. I need to be attached to these kids to the point until they leave and cleave, right? And right. that's it, you know? Um, and then there are other things that I'm attached to, but if those attachments are in conflict with my Gabrielle and kids attachments, then, you know, focusing on your priorities, right? They can yeah. be good things, but you can't you know. even your child, you're going to love that child, but it can't get in the, in between you and Erica, right? That That's yeah. just, it is. That's just, it is what it is. It, that's the game. Let, let, now, let me ask you, when you see, it's just popped in my mind. When you see these guys and, and women, who sacrifice everything to be, uh, you may see the calling a CEO as this or that. I mean, I don't know. I just want to know your, your thought behind, is there room for that too? Or is there something wrong? I I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always just, there's definitely room deeply for conflicted. It. Yeah. There, there, there's definitely room for it, but I also think, you've got to do it on your terms, right? And when you've not made those terms clear early on, people people uh, will take advantage of that, right? Unpack um, that. All right, so I was approached about a position a few months back, right? Looked at the organization, looked at their the people they had in leadership um, looked at their board 
had a list of questions, right? One of them was, I noticed that you all don't have any or, or many minorities on your board. Uh, and I don't see any African-Americans. Uh, and I also don't see any African-American men within leadership of the organization or on your board. Right. So I want to talk with you. I, one of the things I'll be curious about is your, you know, your efforts on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. I didn't hear anything back. They did not move forward with my candidacy. A little salty, right? But ultimately, those are my terms. I need to know how much, how important this is to you all right now up front. Because again, talked about my my education, my childhood, right? I, I got a great childhood, but in a, a great education at Booker T. Washington, but I was one of a handful of black kids in the AP and IB program. Yeah. Um, I don't need or desire to be the model minority in, you know, in yeah. my 40s, particularly when we're talking about uh, an organization that's located in a top 20, top 10 metropolitan area, right? Um... So those are my terms, and I'm comfortable with that. Does it mean that I may not get to get to certain opportunities? And that's fine. What I'm thankful for with what I have, you know, currently have in my again, got a phenomenal uh, boss, um, phenomenal colleagues. We are a private law school uh, in Oklahoma that. Three of our seven deans are black. So you get recruited by a black woman. You matriculate uh, through law school. Another black woman is the dean of that. You become an alumnus, alumna, and want to be engaged. There's a black man that oversees that, right? So, and that's in Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. I'm not regressing, particularly if I go into another place, uh, go to another metropolitan area or another uh, city that is supposedly more diverse than where I come from. Right. So those are my terms. Now, here's the problem. where you don't state that up front, right? You, it's hard to address it on the back end, right? So, um, again, when I, if I have conversations, my family's important to me, right? There are certain things that I'm going to be looking for with regard to structure. How, how folks are managed is important to me. How folks are treated. I believe that no matter who you are what you look like, where you come from, what your sexual orientation, preference, gender is. You have a fundamental human dignity that deserves to be respected, right? If an organization doesn't agree with that, then we don't need to 
your your values and my values don't align, right? Yeah. And so those again, these are my terms. I think you can become CEO or dean or president or whatever, right? But you got to be clear about your terms and what you're willing to sacrifice and what you're not willing to sacrifice. And I think a lot of folks who um, get to these high level positions, but their home life is terrible, were not clear about their terms or they just weren't clear about their priorities. Dang. Man, that's. That right there, I'd like to have a discussion. That is his own discussion that I'd like to <laughs> kind of talk through. Because, I mean, I, I know I've, I you know, we all struggle with it to various extents. And I do think, man, you know, as, as black men and as black women who are part of the minority, this that is a struggle. It's climbing the end-all, be-all, or... Man, is there are there some core principles and core things we should we should have and to hold and and say even if I don't you know ascend to the to to, to the to the mountaintops I'm still good because I'm still me right but, but man that's another I, I, well that's something I want to get to I'll I'll throw another one at you again uh, me having learned under Donald uh, as long as I did you, you go back to Genesis. And, you know, Eve is called to be a helpmate. Yeah. And far too many of us as men have said, okay, my role is to be a provider. Um, You know, I I bring in the resources. And provision is money. Well, that, but also let me see the home and the running of that over to my Eve. Mm. But. You know, I'm not, and I'm not talking about, okay, this is, it's to be my program. This is to me how I see it. But no, this is a partnership. This is a, you know, Eve is the helpmate. So why, right, Christian male who wants to run a company, are you leaving the household to be totally run by your wife? Which is a company. Right, which is a company, and have no authority, have no idea what your kids are dealing with, what's going on at home. But you're, but you're, you're saying you're professing Christian principles, yeah. right? Uh, that, that that the the intelligence of the wisdom of that eludes me. Oh, I hear that. Um, okay, last two questions, and then I'm gonna let you go Colin and George Floyd what do you think is missing in the conversation regarding um George Floyd and the situations that have occurred around it and after it after his passing let me to be clear so reading the Washington Post reading a headline today the little quote underneath it talked about how uh, a black Democrat is worried about her son's or her or his son's safety, whereas the white Republicans are concerned about the burdens of uh, the police. And 
that was how they spun it, right? But I think that's somewhat accurate, right? So this idea of safety, well-being, life, livelihood, life versus burden. Yeah. <laughs> think, think think about safety. Yeah. Can I can I live versus right. what's placed upon me as I live? Yeah. The fact that and, and uh, I've had numerous discussions with with our friend Donald about this. The idea that uh, there are group, there's a profession that typically can <clears throat> retire at fifty or fifty-five, whatever the age is, with a pension. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> right. That is given the ability to make split-second decisions that can result in loss of life, and are given the benefit of the doubt of those decisions. Right. Um. Yet, have not been given an increased level of accountability is problematic. So we need to look structurally or systematically at that. That's what I, I don't believe is happening enough of. Um, the idea that someone can say, I was in fear of my life or um, and so I decided to neutralize a threat when you're in a job that's inherently dangerous right right um, those are part of the risks of the job now in order to do that again we provide quotes the ability to retire at an earlier age with full pension and, and I don't have any problems with that but there's something's got to give at some point right um, because you can't have it all and have it every which way right so we need to um, increase the level of training right we need to, or we need to increase the level of consequences. Or we, something's got to give for police again to be given this this incredibly high. I mean, the ability to hold life in your hand, right? Yeah. But then to say, I, "Well, I was in fear of my life," right? Mm -hmm. the, the reason that we can't, or, or that is so hard to convict a police officer is because, right, we've got to convict beyond a reasonable doubt, but yet they are already given the benefit of the doubt, yeah. right? Police officer shoots someone, well, it, we automatically think that person must have been committing a crime, right? Hmm. But then we've got, I mean, the standard is beyond a reasonable reasonable doubt well how do you do that when you've already said placed in people's mind right through our culture that um they they this is what police officers do right this is what they should they should neutralize the threat right so it, it, it's we've got to we've got to make some real systemic changes around what's going on with policing 
Man, no, that's that's good stuff. Uh, let, let, man, let me, and, and I th- let me ahead. also because this is Donald's point. Not able to be here with us, right? But right, he says, um, and I think it's a valid point. When we say that a police officer is allowed to shoot an unarmed person, right, and not be convicted. Now they have usurped not just the life and the rights of the person that was that was killed. We've usurped the Constitution, right? Because the Constitution says that you get the right to a jury trial, right? right? If I'm dead, I no longer get the right to the jury trial. Now, of course, if that person poses an imminent threat, Right. Well, there may be reason to to neutralize the threat, particularly in my mind, if they pose an, a threat to other people, civilians. Right. Who don't have the ability like police officers to go and and to wield, make life or death decisions and get the benefit of the doubt and who are not trained. Right. So if you need to save. um to, to neutralize a threat so that this person does not kill an innocent bystander. What I can understand that, but to say my life was in jeopardy, so I needed to neutralize a threat. Well, again, yes, everybody wants to, to make it home, you know, alive, but should that be a reasonable request or an assumption in such an inherently dangerous position when that's one of the risks of the position right and and i think you're right because the the stunt guy they don't change the risk because i mean they may pay him more because he's uh uh, uh, you know a stunt double whatnot but the job is the job if you're gonna do it it comes with what it comes with now if you say man i need more pay i need a better pension which is what they do for police officers. Cause if you retire at 50 and 55, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. We're, you're, we're about 14 years away from that. Right. Yeah, or nine I, or 14. Retiring. No, I'll <laughs> right. be working. Yeah. But that's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but Steve, Stephen G Butler, <laughs> thank you so much for um, your time, uh, your energy, your talent, bro. You really should write. <laughs> do something well you know. i mean that was why me you and donald while i was bringing us together we needed to write that article and maybe maybe that comes out of the conversation right L- let's do it for sure man thank you steven g butler for for man your time your talent your treasure and man i hope this conversation blesses uh, the people who are listening to it thank you again